Well, let's uh, jump into our class since um, we have a lot to cover. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this morning, this time together, and the beautiful day that awaits us. Um, we just wonder at your creation. Uh, it's a joy to look up and see the mountains covered with snow and the beauty of the, the sunrise and the pink sky and just uh, you've created a beautiful world, Lord. Unfortunately, sin has uh, entered and and caused uh, great harm to your creation. But as your word proclaims, one day we will enjoy a new heaven and a new earth where everything is right, the home of righteousness. And uh, we long for that. Help us to have uh, a hope that is um, based in Scripture, that is a living hope and uh, live in this assurance that uh, your promises are certain and, and sure. And uh, it just awaits us. So thank you for Jesus who made that possible. And we offer our thanks and ask your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we only have one week of um, winter left. So January and February are gone by and, and it's springtime, right? <laughs> Nineteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we lived in Minnesota for so many years, and uh, it. I, I always was glad when January and February passed by because I was not a winter person. There's if Eric were here, he uh, Peterson, he could tell us about his uh, enjoyment of ice fishing, but not me. My son lives on a lake, and he likes to fish through the ice. And this year, they've had an unusually warm winter. Very little snow and and the ice isn't even thick enough to usually it is. But anyway, I was glad when February, January and February went by and they get a true spring up there. You know, April showers bring May flowers. That old song that's not true here. But uh, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, Sharon says, why do you always wish uh, two months of your life <laughs> by every year? <laughs> I have a little uh, poem here I want to start with. Morning, guys. Um, I like Robert Frost. Sharon has a whole book of the poems of Robert Frost, and um, I, I've memorized one of them. I think I've told you that, you know. You know, like the early English people that memorized all the poets and everything. So uh, Robert Frost wrote a, a poem called can't remember the name of the title of this poem. I remember the poem. The old dog barked backwards without getting up. I can remember when he was a pup. <laughs> of course, it was a poem about himself, the old dog, who wrote most of his poetry and, and as an elderly man. And this was one called The Onset. Onset was, uh, it starts with the onset of winter, and it progresses to the onset of spring. So he says, uh, written in 1923, always the same. When on faded night at last the gathered woods let down, the gathered snow lets down as white as may be in dark woods, and with a song it shall not make again all winter long of hissing on the yet uncovered ground. First snow falls, just you know, hisses, melts, and gone, but uh, he knows what's ahead. Uh, I almost stumble looking up and round as one who 
overtaken by the end, gives up his errand and lets death descend upon him where he is. With nothing done to evil, no important triumph won more than if life had never begun. He's kind of looking at winter as it descends on the Vermont hills and woods and uh, and he's feeling a sense of foreboding overtaken by thoughts of the end. And so, you know, um, the seasons are like the seasons of life, often been compared to spring of life as we begin it, summer, the autumn of life, and, uh, and winter, the end of life. But he goes on, yet all the press's precedent is on my side. Live long enough to see it, he says. I know that winter death has never tried the earth, but it has failed. The snow may heap in long storms and undrifted four feet deep as measured against maple, birch, and oak. Yet it cannot check the peeper's silver croak. You know what a peeper is? If you live in Minnesota, you know what a peeper is. <laughs> little little silver frogs, and uh, we sometimes have them stuck on our windows, you know, as they're crawling up the side of the house or the, the trees. Uh, it uh, cannot check the peeper's silver croak, the croak of the frog. And I shall see it all, all snow, I shall see the snow all go downhill in, a, in water of a slender April rill that flashes tail through last year's withered brake and dead weeds like a disappearing snake. And nothing will be left white, but here a birch and there a clump of houses with a church. And I like that, you know, his poems really reflected his view of life and uh, especially rural life in Minnesota. And here he's seeing the onset of, of spring. Uh, he saw the coming of the winter and it was like uh, the death descending, he describes it. But here is uh, the precedent of spring following winter and the new life and new birth that comes and it's invigorating, isn't it? I don't know. I I love spring, and um, I love the blooming flowers. And Sharon had that when we lived in Minnesota. She had a beautiful perennial flowers everywhere, and uh, just the uh, lily of the valley that come up and fill the whole backyard with the fragrance of uh, a beautiful uh, uh, lilies and all the flowers she had. And we just loved spring, and it was. What is spring to you? What is it? A sign of something? Summer coming. <laughs> yeah. Summer's next. It's going to be hot. Cold baseball. Yeah, cold baseball. <laughs> uh, it's a sign of new life. You know, you hear the birds singing. You see the... Sharon said, there's a robin the other day. You know, we didn't see robins till in March. And often uh, they were cold and shivering. Uh, with uh, the wet, cold rains of March and April, but uh, we saw a robin the other day. It was always a harbinger of spring for us, and the birds singing and flowers, the tulips coming up, you know, the uh, crocuses and daffodils and the tulips. And Anyway, I'm going on and on. Uh, spring is uh, invigorating to us, and um, it's a sign of new life. 
And to me, it's a metaphor of what God has in store for us. Uh, we may pass through the seasons of life and enter into to winter and, and see it descending with uh, foreboding and fear and worry, but spring is coming. Remember an old uh, sermon I heard years ago from a, a, a black preacher somewhere, I can't remember even where it was, but it was entitled, uh, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. <laughs> and Friday is the crucifixion, of course, of Jesus and his burial and in the tomb on Saturday, and then the glories of Sunday, Easter, the new life that comes forth, and um, the power of the resurrection. And uh, if, if people have a hard time believing in that, Mike, we were just talking about that, weren't we? Uh, people have a hard time believing, trusting Scripture and believing what's ahead. Um, I pity them. Um, we lived in Wisconsin uh, years ago, and one of our uh, church members asked me to uh, go visit their neighbor and see if I could share the gospel with him. And I did, and it turns out he was a, a, a professor at the, um, of psychology at the University of uh, Milwaukee Medical School. Uh, so he was in the medical school, and uh, he was uh, on his deathbed. Uh, he was just, it wasn't that old, as I remember, but uh, he was already in a hospice care and they'd moved a hospital bed into his room. And so our neighbors, um, who were church members, asked me to go talk to him. And I really uh, appealed to him to consider what's ahead. He thought, he, he it was clear he viewed uh, death as the end of all things. And I said, can't you imagine a... Uh, um, a life beyond this that uh, is your only thought that you will cease to exist and he says well I kind of wonder sometimes but my training compels me to say that it's just our ego our our you know psych psychological word I as uh, in Greek is the word ego or ego just our ego that says we're too important to not exist <clears throat> But I believe that's what will happen, will not exist. And like we said two weeks ago, old Joe all dressed up and no place to go at his funeral. Um, Job 14, verse uh, 1. Man that is born of woman is of few years and full of trouble. This uh, fallen world that we live in, the realm of, um, of a world that is, uh, has both good and evil in it. Job says he springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow. C.S. Lewis described our life as a shadow where we live in the shadow land. Uh, maybe this is where he gets it from. A flower that withers like a fleeting shadow, it does not endure. Then he asks the question, if a man dies, this is, uh, Job 14, verse 14, if a man dies, shall he live again? Is death the end of a person? Job immediately answers his own question, I will wait till my change. Uh, one version says, until my renewal. Now perhaps he was thinking of, you know, escaping the pain and suffering that he was enduring and, and trusting and believing God that he would have his health restored and his wealth restored and and be renewed in that way. But uh, he asked the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? I think he had the, 
the thought in mind of, of life after death. That this is not the end. That man shall live again. And so we come to this topic that we're going to look at uh, this morning on the resurrection. Uh, let's turn to a passage of Scripture. We're going to spend some time here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, entitled in my Bible, The Resurrection of Christ. Uh, someone read um, just the first two verses for us. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. In the next verse, too, uh, friends. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have sat down through five. <laughs> that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Am I done now? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I delivered you the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. good news, glad tidings. The gospel is good news for the world. Uh, good news for a world that's in the bondage of death and decay. Um, this gospel hope that we have, Paul preached it, he believed it firmly. Uh, this gospel is God's plan to save us. Um, we must hold firmly to it and uh, believe in it with all our heart now he says this gospel um, is of supreme importance so i received what i passed on to you as of first importance in the last two sundays eddie's uh, brought this verse up as of first importance I mean, you probably do that again this morning with the topic he's on from acts chapter 2 what is of first importance this gospel that he's preaching um, uh, the belief in the resurrection was supremely important to uh, most Jewish people. The word he uses here uh, is uh, the word for first, of, port in, in, of first importance, the word protos uh, in Greek. We get our word prototype from it, the first of something. Uh, but here it means a little more. Um, uh, Vine, in his expository dictionary of New Testament words, calls it the superlative degree of protos. So not just the first, but the absolute first uh, in order of something. That which comes first of all is above all else. That which is supremely important for the Christian life. And um, this gospel is the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. What is supremely important to the Christian life? Well, you get a clue from reading the rest of the chapter. What's chapter 15 about? Resurrection. The resurrection of the body. Debunking, debunking <clears throat> Sadducees before I guess. Yeah. It's sad, uh, you see, who didn't believe in the uh, resurrection or angels or a spiritual life uh, or a life beyond the, the grave. Uh, but but 
they were in a minority. The, the majority of Jews believed in an afterlife. Um, they weren't quite sure about it. You know, we, the spirit leaves the body and goes to the grave, to Sheol, to Tartarus, to uh, the pit, or whatever they might call it. But uh, the... Oh, Gen Eden, yeah. You mean Genhenim was... Is that what you're saying? The Gen Eden is where the, uh, the spirit, according to Jewish thinking goes after death. Yeah. And so they saw the spirit going somewhere, not that it just ceased, life ceases to be. So they believed in in uh, life after death. And, and um, as you read the New Testament, the writings of uh, the apostles and prophets, uh, there's pretty uniform doctrine of the resurrection. Um, not a lot of divergence from it. And not that there should be, because that was inspired by the scripture. But as you read the the chapter here, 1 Corinthians, you see there was some divergence, but it was on the part of a, a, a Greek culture, uh, Corinth, a home of a bunch of pagans who uh, had different views of, of life after death. And of course, there were lots of views in all kinds of cultures. Look at the Egyptians who uh, believed in the afterlife and graves that contained uh, things that people would need in their life to come and so forth. So there were a lot of a lot of views of life after death. Uh, but the Jewish people were pretty uniform in their belief. Uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 12, talks about uh, the life to come. And, and here Paul calls uh, the, this message of the death of Christ was according to the Scripture. What Scripture is he referring to? Tanakh. What? Tanakh. Tanakh. Tell us what Tanakh is. <laughs> uh, that is the, what you refer to as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Okay. The Old Testament, Tanakh. Yeah, the Old Testament. Did the Old Testament predict the death of Christ? Absolutely. Yeah. Can you think of one passage that's really clear on that topic? Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 50, 53. He was... Uh, wounded for our transgressions. Uh, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, but then it ends by saying that he shall, and it talks about his, the death of the suffering servant, but then it goes on to talk about uh, he shall see the light of life. Again, a prediction of the resurrection. And perhaps other verses uh, like Daniel chapter 12 that uh, spoke of uh, coming resurrection and and uh, life life that God had planned to come. Um, so the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was of, is still of supreme importance to the believer. Now the reason I mentioned that is because we tend to gloss over. Uh, let me just put it this way: I've tended to gloss over the concept of resurrection. Um, I guess I have to confess I was confused about it because uh, doesn't our spirit when we leave the body go into to be with the Lord didn't Paul say that it's just better by far to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so uh, when we die we our spirit goes into 
well, what Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So we go into this heavenly paradise. Why do we need a resurrection body? Paul answers, deals with that in this 15th chapter. Why do we need a resurrection if we can live in, in paradise and in glory in heaven without it? Paradise is a waiting garden. Okay. The new earth is where our resurrected bodies will live forever. Okay. All right. That's good. We can quit now. <laughs> that's the that's the story of the of the resurrection hope that we have for the future. And I didn't always believe that. And the reason why I say I was confused by it was because of Second Peter chapter three talks about um, the earth that was then, the world that was then, was deluged and destroyed <clears throat> in a great flood. Richard, just a second. Okay. Go ahead. Do you want me to finish up? Well, I want to finish the thought from Second Peter. Um, he says uh, the word uh, destroyed is the word kataklusmos in Greek. What, what word do you hear there? Cataclysm. The flood was a great cataclysmic event that totally turned the world upside down, changed everything. And, um, and he says that there's a day coming like that, similar to that, a day of fire and a day in which the elements shall melt with fervent heat and be burned up and destroyed. Great, another great cataclysmic event. So I thought, this earth as we know it, this creation as we know it, is going to be destroyed. It's going to melt and disappear. And we will live in um, a disembodied spirit in the heavenly glory in a place called paradise. So when I tried to reconcile uh, 2 Peter 3 and these other verses that talk about the resurrection, I, I was confused. So resurrection to me meant um, when we die, we were resurrected to uh, paradise. I guess it's just my ignorance and um, lack of careful reading of the scripture that can come to a conclusion like Jim shared with us, that heaven Heavenly glory is a temporary place. That strikes us a little odd because we think of it as eternal, eternal life. And it is. But it's just sort of moving from one room to another, if you can picture it that way. A temporary existence uh, in paradise awaiting the last day, the, the resurrection of uh, the body. Uh, Richard, what were you going to say? Okay. I have a question. <laughs> We've got three guys up here on execution stakes. Yeshua tells one, you're going to paradise. Where's the other guy going? Well, if we believe the parable in Luke 16 of uh, the rich man in Lazarus, uh, one lifted up his eyes and in, in comfort in Abraham's bosom, which was a, a metaphor to the Jewish people for this paradise existence. Uh, the other lifted up his eyes in torment. A um, place called Tartarus. I wish we had more time to talk about all, all of this. But um, yeah, there's a lot of questions surrounding all of this. What happens to us at death? You know, David always worried about being, having his soul 
left in seal. Is it S E O L or S H E L? Well, grammar was not like this. That's okay. That's a one two words I don't spell. Um, John 11, 33 and 34, uh, the death of Lazarus. And you know the story, and Jesus delays his coming. Uh, Mary said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but now he's been in the tomb four days. Uh, we couldn't imagine him rolling the stone away. What good would that do? Uh, and she said, uh, your brother will will live or is living. Um, she said, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. So where did they pick, where did the resurrection fit in their cosmology and their thinking? When would it occur? At the return of Christ. At the return of Christ. At the return of Christ, at the last. Messiah. At the last day, yeah, at the last day. So what happens about all those people that have died before that? Um, this discussion of uh, uh, paradise, the thief on the cross. Uh, Paul saying, "I my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Not a, a soul sleep, not a... a in the grave for a long duration of time, but time is, time is uh, timeless, I guess, with, with God. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Uh, but rather a conscious existence after death. In the presence of God, in the presence of uh, Christ, which is better by far, and a lot is said in the book of Revelation and in other places. Um, and um, in the here's the more of the Jewish thought of uh, afterlife, the transfiguration of um, Jesus in Matthew 17, I think it is. Suddenly, Jesus is transformed before them, and he appears and brilliant, glorious light, along with him, Elijah and Moses. I often wonder if they were disembodied spirits, which I believe they were, how did, how were they recognized? How were they known? How did Peter and John know that they were Moses and Elijah and says, wow, this is awesome. Well, let's build uh, three tabernacles. One for each of you. They had name cards on. Name cards. <laughs> Somehow, intuitively, they knew who they were. And I think that's true of, of our, after we leave this life, it's not an unconsciousness. There's a, an awareness of who we are, where we've been, of what uh, life was, and what it is now, and who we are as individuals. Well, then why did Jesus always referred to some of them that was dead, including Lazarus and the girl that he raised from the dead is they're just asleep. Asleep. Okay. And Paul always referred to Christians that died in Christ as asleep yeah. in Christ. 
Now we shall, I show you a great mystery. We shall not all sleep and use that word sleep. And that, that's uh, caused some people to believe in a doctrine called soul sleep, that, that our, our bodies and souls sleep in the grave until the, the last day, the resurrection day. Um, I, that's hard to reconcile with Paul saying he wanted to de depart and to be with Christ. Um, I think that Jesus was just using terminology that they could grapple with, not that it was technically correct because those who were supposedly asleep were probably actually observing what was going on around their temporarily dead bodies. Yeah. It's hard to believe those Jesus, the Jews believed that the, uh, the soul hung around the body for three days, I think. <laughs> And then it disappeared. Yeah. And, and went there. That's, that's one of the reasons for Lazarus, why he didn't go there for four days. After the yeah. Third day. Four days, yeah. I don't know if there's any validity to that, but it was. Uh, yeah. So, so we got yeah. these different sections, like yeah. 17, where it says, hey, it's Elijah and Moses. And then you got Lazarus and the rich man. And then you got First Thessalonians that said that dead in Christ will rise first, along with those who are still alive and yeah. will get caught up in the clouds. So where are they? I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, there's like almost like contradictions. It doesn't say that the dead don't know where they are, but it just says the dead are going to rise. Well, where are they rising from? I don't know. So the That's but are the are the dead bodies. So the, the souls are in paradise, right? And uh, during that resurrection, then uh, that that will be uh, when resurrection occurs, and those who belong to Christ will uh, inherit the new earth. God's throne will come down to the new earth and be with the people. Uh, and then those those resurrected bodies. My personal belief is that God can recreate your body out of molecules that He creates at the snap of a finger. Uh, rather than having to recover those molecules that the worms have been eating. <laughs> um, so it's, a lot of this is, I don't know what the terminology is, euphemism or whatever, but um, it's all terminology that we can grapple with our limited minds. But uh, as an engineer, I favor <laughs> God being able to just reconstruct us at the snap of a finger yeah. for, the, for the new earth. Richard? From the Jewish perspective, many uh, this is I did some research. Many of those will, that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, some to reproach, to everlasting abhorrence. That's so, Daniel chapter twelve. And the stages will be yeah. radiant like the bright sky, uh, expansive sky, and those who lead the many to righteousness will be like the stars forever yeah. and ever. And Jesus quoted that verse in the Gospels, that we'll be like the stars shining in brilliance and glory. Um, but they're they're both, well, they're alluding to, and that was a, a rabbinic writing. What was that, Richard? It was a reference to Daniel chapter 12. Correct. Yeah. Well, we could say a lot about uh, Jesus as a Messiah when I started to talk about the Transfiguration and um, it was awesome and uh, the disciples fell on their face and then they heard a voice saying, do not be afraid. 
they always, they're always angels or whomever. Jesus are always saying, "Do not be afraid." God doesn't want us to to fear death. And here's proof of that God is a God of the living, not of, not of the dead. Moses and uh, Elijah who appeared, and um, it says in uh, Mark. Let's see if I can find it. Um, as Jesus and some of the disciples were coming down from the mountain, Mark records that Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And Mark goes on, they kept this matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. <laughs> they were puzzled by it. Isn't you, aren't you the Messiah? And just a few verses earlier than that, when Jesus said, who do, you say, who do men say I am? And Peter confessed, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. What are they thinking? And why are they puzzled about him talking about rising from the dead? And what? They were still thinking of an earthly kingdom. They were, and they couldn't con uh, conceive of the Messiah dying. Okay? The Messiah was the onset, the, uh, the beginning of the, the new life that had been prophesied and promised in, in Scripture. And so, Messiah can't die. That was their thinking. Um, Jesus uh, explained to his disciples on one occasion as they were going into Jerusalem that he would suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. On the third day rise to life. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty-one to 28. Um, I'm convinced the disciples had no earthly idea what he was talking about. Messiah can't die. And the argument was made that if this Messiah dies, he's what? He's not the Messiah. And our Thursday morning uh, Bible class, we're looking at Acts. And remember this, Jeff, where um, Gamaliel says to, uh, this is after Pentecost, to the disciples, if this is from God, it's from God. We shouldn't resist it. But then he reminds them of other things like this, messiahs who had come and gone, who were killed, whose followers were dis dispersed, and it came to nothing. And uh, this, is, this will happen here, too, in this case, if this Jesus is a false messiah. But if he's really the messiah, then we're going to find ourselves fighting against God himself. So uh, there was a belief that messiah could not would not die. And uh, if he died, he wouldn't be the Messiah. Uh, N.T. Wright in his book that I showed you a moment ago says of crucifixion and the cross that this hideous practice had symbolic meaning throughout the Roman world. What, did, what were the Romans broadcasting with crucifixion? Death, yeah. Death. Cross us and you die. And uh, you will die in a most uh, hideous uh, way, N.T. Uh, Wright says, and we will do it pretty nastily. It's estimated that the Romans crucified 100,000 to 150,000 Jewish people 
or, or people uh, overall their uh, empire over the, a 500 year period. And during the Jew Jewish revolt, the uh, Maccabean revolt, um, not the Maccabean revolt, the revolt of, uh, that was Messiah, or not Messiah, the, uh, yeah, Messiah. Masada? Masada, yeah. Uh, that they crucified 500 Jews every day. Uh, they were proclaiming that death is the end. And so death to uh, of Jesus the Messiah was unheard of, unthought of. They couldn't imagine it. Um, if Jesus was crucified, every disciple knew they backed the wrong horse. Peter said, let's go, I'm going back to fishing. Um, uh, it was all over. Um, they felt they were lucky just to escape with their own lives. And we find them hiding after the crucifixion in, in an upper room. The resurrection was a complete surprise to them. And how do we know that? Um, they went, the women went to the tomb to anoint a dead body. He was sealed uh, in the tomb with a Roman seal. Do not touch, do not tamper. Um, it was all over. But it wasn't. And so the resurrection came as, as a complete surprise. And you see that in the gospel accounts of first they didn't believe. And the women who came, women were the first at the tomb. Um, they, they ran to see for themselves. Um, Peter and John. John stops at the entrance and Peter rushes. Peter always impetuous. Peter rushes in to see the grave clothes lying there in their folds. Um, and it was a complete surprise. They were baffled by it. Mary said when she saw Jesus uh, thinking he was the gardener, tell me where you've taken his body. Uh, so they didn't expect it. Um, the gospel is the death, burial, and what? Resurrection. resurrection, okay? The gospel is not complete without the resurrection, which will take place when? At the last day, okay? And even our baptism reflects that. Paul's pretty clear in Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised by the power and glory of God, even so we should we too shall have a new life. Okay? So our baptism is a picture of the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And without a clear understanding of that. Uh, perhaps we're not even understanding the, the purpose, the symbolism of, of our baptism. Uh, the plan of God is not complete without the resurrection. And so obviously there must be a space of time or a gap or a two-step kind of belief of what happens to us after die, After we die? Number one, we go to paradise. We're conscious. We live there in a, in a disembodied state. The body without the spirit is dead. 
but we're conscious, we're aware, we know. First Corinthians 13 says we will know even as we're known. I think we're, our minds are going to be greatly expanded in our understanding and belief in that spiritual um, existence, that spiritual body. But after that comes the second stage at the last day, and that is the final resurrection. Um, there's these two scriptures. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians uh, 15 that we were looking at a moment ago. And then we're going to... We better move... Hurry here. Uh, we'll look at Romans chapter 8. There are truths revealed in these two scriptures. There's actually n numerous scriptures on the resurrection. You want to delve into this topic more, just take a concordance and look up the word resurrection and resurrection hope, and you'll, you'll be surprised at all the verses that the, the early church and beyond them, the early church fathers were all clear in their belief of a coming resurrection. There was no doubt in their mind. Uh, but what that would be, what it would entail was somewhat mysterious. In fact, uh, in first, here in 1 Corinthians, where is it? He says, uh, I show you a mystery. Um, uh, let's see, what verse is that? Um, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have it here. Um, 51. What was it? 51. 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Mysterion is the Greek word. Uh, it's, it's a mysterious thing. How does it happen? We have all kinds of questions surrounding uh, this notion of the resurrection. Uh, N.T. Wright in his book, uh, Surprised by Hope, likens it to driving into a dense fog, he says. And you have only the um, signpost, the the uh, scriptures to guide you into what's what's ahead. Uh, it does not yet. <clears throat> John in First John chapter two, forget the verse, says, uh, "Beloved, now it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is." When you think about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and what what he was, and he, he was sometimes not even recognized when, like the two on the road to Emmaus, they they didn't know who he was at first, and he suddenly appears in a room, and then he disappears, and so forth. Uh, what his body was like, that post-resurrection body, um, is pretty mysterious. But John says uh, it doesn't appear to us; it's it's not a clear thing what it'll be. But we know this. We'll, we'll be like him in, in his resurrection. His resurrection is our resurrection. Um, so it's kind of like driving into a fog. <laughs> My brother was a cross-country uh, truck driver, and I asked him one time, how do you find your way everywhere? It's been, I've been everywhere, man. I've touched the mountain air, man. I've traveled. I've done my share, man. I've been everywhere. And he says, you just have to believe the signs. Just be, just believe the signs, unless you live in Colorado, that is. So. 
There's not many of those. <clears throat> but uh, follow the signs. And that's what the Scripture is all about. We may not understand fully what's ahead, but uh, the signs indicate that we're traveling in the right direction as uh, believers in, in Christ. And I ask this question, why do we need a resurrection body anyway? Why do we need to be raised if we can live in glory and paradise and disembodied in, in the spirit? I don't think the humans are complete without a body. We have a body here, and we have to have a body there. We're not angels. Okay. We're not cherubim. We're not God. <laughs> we're finite we're going to be finite then too. Yeah. And we're going to need a, a, I can't use the word physical, a spiritual, a, um, that's not even the right word, an immortal, uh, uh, incorruptible yeah. vessel to live in right. in a new heaven and a new earth. you got to have something to be recognized by. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I can't imagine heaven without somehow being like who we are. I can see it now. They say, here's Richard. Let's go on the other side of the <laughs> um, There's a little extra I added here. Uh, the topic of resurrection raises many questions that we all attempt to grasp and understand. N.T. Wright as a whole section in this book, Surprised by Hope, uh, Rethinking Heaven and the Resurrection and the Mission of the Church, in which he asks who, where, why, what, when, and how. And he, he, he answers every one of those in, the, in his book. Uh, certainly a mystery. <coughs> what kind of body will we have? <coughs> there was this um, question, in, it's verse 35 here of uh, 1 Corinthians. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? What kind of body will we have? What is this resurrection body? And how is it possible? Um, <clears throat> Paul uses the analogy, goes on to use the analogy of a seed that's planted in, in the earth. And, this, and it germinates and grows into something totally different. <clears throat> looking totally different from what the seed was. In fact, the seed itself, in a sense, dies in order that uh, what the plant contained, the life contained within it, uh, brings forth. <clears throat> I don't know if that's an adequate uh, uh, analogy for everybody, but it, it was work for Paul. If a shim can take these dry bones and <laughs> create living beings from them why not from the dead yeah why not why not you know and if you look at the end of six uh, 15 it's a uh well this is a material which can decay must be clothed with imperishability this which is mortal must be clothed with immortality yeah well it seems like he's saying okay we've got this now we're just going to move it over here, yeah. and it's going to look it's going to look good, yeah. but it's not going to change. Here it changes. Oh, over here it's going to be. This is what it's going to be forever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's changed and different in nature, but in 
in some respects it's it's the same. Um, one of the early Christians, uh, Tertullian, uh, wrestled with this, uh, was asked this question about how, like we saw here, how uh, how will we be raised? With what kind of body will we raised? Um, he answered uh, very uh, succinctly. Um, let's see if I can find it. Um, He says, that's God's business. He's the creator and he will work it out. <laughs> it's a good answer. <laughs> good answer. Uh, another early Christian origin lived in, in the second, third century answered it this way. Our bodies are in any case in a state of flux. It isn't just that hair and fingernails grow and are cut off. Our entire entire physical substance is slowly changing even now. Um, Bonnie, you're not married to the same man you married when he was, what, 20? 21. 21. <laughs> you're married to a different man, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, today what we call atoms and molecules pass, this is N.T. Wright, uh, pass through us, leaving us with continuity of form, but transience of matter. N.T. Wright explains that we change our entire physical makeup every seven years. I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I know I'm a different man than, <laughs> than, I, than I was. Sharon knows that too. When I, <laughs> was, when I was 20, uh, 25 when we got married. <laughs> Um, uh, N.T. Wright says, I am physically a totally different person now from the person I was 10 years ago, and I am still me. We are still us, even though we don't have a single molecule left from the time we were 22 years old. <laughs> Thus, it, is, it really doesn't matter whether we get the identical molecules back or not. Some continuity is perfectly possible. Dust we are. Dust God made us of the dust of the ground, and to dust we shall return. But God can do wonderful things, new things with dust. So, you know, that helps me understand the, the question, what about... What about a body that's uh, martyred and burned at the cross and becomes ashes? What about uh, a believer who's lost at sea, uh, whose body dissolves into a million molecules? Fish food. Fish food, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure why in Catholic theology they were against. Uh, uh, cremation um, because that's really what happens to the body yeah well the ancients were very concerned about where their bones were to be buried mm -hmm. but I'm not sure what they thought about that but yeah it was very important to them yeah they were gathered to their fathers expression mm -hmm. in scripture um, but even in that it talks about you know, Abraham was gathered to his fathers, but he wasn't buried with them. He wasn't buried in the same place that his fathers were. Yeah, that's true. 
That's a good thought. He's gathered to his fathers, but there was a, a the tomb of Machpelah, I think it's called, it was uh, special for the burial of Abraham and then uh, Isaac and Jacob as well, and Abraham's wife, Sarah. Boy, uh, we needed to look at this passage, but uh, I want you to read it. Just write it down somewhere and read it. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation itself, God's perfect world, remember when he created all things, he said it's good, it's good, it's good, mankind, it's very good, and it was. And Romans chapter 8 is pretty clear to me. It says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. It's, it's like um, the creation is going through the pangs of childbirth. And hearkening back to the, the curse that was put upon the woman to, to bring forth offspring with pain and uh, man to uh, reap the thorns and thistles of a, a world that, where sin and evil has been unleashed. All that will pass and the creation will be brought into a glorious liberty. The creation itself, that's the heaven and the earth, will be brought into a glorious liberty along with us, along with the sons of God. And to me, that says we're going to live on a recreated earth. Mm-hmm. That heaven and earth, we have a hymn that says, and heaven and earth shall be one. Okay. And and that's exciting to me to think about it. And some people say, well, where would we put everybody? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but like Tertullian says, God's got it all worked out. It's going to happen. And at the last day, we'll be resurrected in glory. Let me just uh, conclude here with uh, some thoughts real quick. We have some Russian friends who are faithful Christians. Uh, they said that at Easter they have a, a tradition in Russia. They greet each other with a hug and with a, three kisses on the cheek. I like that, you know. <laughs> Bible talks about the, the holy kiss. Okay, so they kiss each other three times on the cheek, and they one says "Christos Voskresh," and the other replies "Bestino Voskres," which means one saying "Christ is risen," and the other replying. He is risen indeed. I love those traditions. I wish we we had them more in our culture. N.T. Wright wrote, The whole world is waiting on tiptoe with expectation for the moment when that resurrection life and that power sweeps through and fills us with glory, the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Um, and uh, one day this earth will be shaken and it will be changed, the creation itself. Um, as the flood cleansed the earth, so fire will cleanse cleanse it once again, and, but it will be recreated and brought into a glory that uh, we can't even begin to imagine. So I'm not sure if I understand all that, but whatever God has in store for us, okay, I'm, how about you? Amen? Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. 
And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.